0: Church, happy Sunday. It is Pentecost Sunday, or Shuva'ot. It's a Jewish holiday. It's a Christian holiday. It's seven weeks after Passover, 50 days after Passover. The Jewish Jewish people gather to celebrate Shuvaot, the festival of weeks of the first gathering of the grain. And they also celebrated that God gave the Torah after he freed them from the first Passover that happened from slavery. And they went to the mountain of God and God gave them his revelation, his law. So it's not incidental that on Passover Jesus was crucified because he said he was the Lamb of God. And then 50 days later on the next Jewish festival is when the Spirit of God fell upon the church, that day that they were celebrating. The Greek term was Pentecost. And so Seven weeks after Easter, the church celebrates Pentecost, and that's what today is. It is the birth of the church, the big church, where God continued to reveal his plans and his heart for the world and all the nations. And so, happy birthday, church! And so, we have cake and ready to celebrate, and um, your kids will celebrate. So, but as I was reflecting upon this text, And today, the birth of the church is really um, about this beautiful act of love. And the heartbeat is is this, from Ephesians 2.18, and our prayer for us this morning is this, that um, may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. And of any day that marks, of days that we can remember what we should know about the, just the beautiful love of God, it is the, the birth of the church. And I want to look at this, this story and a couple of things that just mark this beautiful moment. And so it's the, it's the beautiful birth. And so when I think about things that are born, there's definitely beauty in things that are born. And Many of you have gotten to experience a child being born or a nephew being born or an animal being born or an idea being born or a group being born. And there's something beautiful about the start and something good. I still remember for Carmel and I, we are on vacation. I know our parents remember the day it was July the 14th. 2015, and again, our birth story and all birth stories are different because we were adopting, and so it wasn't that sort of birth where you're sitting there and I, you know, didn't get to wear the mask and sit there and catch the baby. didn't Didn't get that story, right? I I don't know if that's actually what happens anymore. My story was a phone call that comes right in the middle of the night that says he's here, come and come and see your son. And we got that in the middle of the night and didn't hear it and at 8 a.m. We're checking voicemails, and it was his birth. Harvest was born. And we're turning to each other, and we're like, and we were uh, three and a half hours away, or four hours away at that time on vacation with our family, and we packed up our stuff as fast as you could and made that four-hour trip in two and a half, and uh, <laughs> as fast as we could in order to see him, Right? I remember the call, I remember the drive, I remember the moment. You might too, the beauty of birth. And there is something profoundly beautiful at the birth of the church. I want us to look at it and it, it reveals so many beautiful things about the heart of our God, about the start of it, and it's still about what the church is today. God's hunger and He's longing for it. And so, in Acts, it kind of tells this. It says that the church, that there, there was this group of people who were disciples of Jesus, about 120 of them, and they were in this room, and Jesus had told them to wait in Jerusalem until he gave them the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit, and they were waiting. They were praying, and they were praising God, and it said that on this day, something happened, and this is in Acts 2, verse 5, here's what it says, so... Um, Oh, but as they were praying, it said that all of a sudden these tongues of fire from heaven came down upon them, that this violent wind had come down. That's what it sounded like, violent wind and tongues of fire came upon them. And all of a sudden, they all began praising God in these different tongues and different languages. And in Acts Acts 2, verse 5 to 12, it says this, now that we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Now, this is partly because this was a festival when everyone was told they had to go to Jerusalem. So, anyone who's from all the different nations, if they had any connection to the God of Israel, they came to Jerusalem. And so, they're all there. It's so every nation under heaven. And when they heard the sound, because they heard the sound of all of these people, this 120 people in this room, speaking in different, all these tongues of fire Here's what it says they said. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hear them in our native language? Parthians and Medes and... And Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius in Asia, Perga and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Christians and Arabs. Uh, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? This, within the first moments of God giving this gift of the Holy Spirit where he promised to his people saying, I'm going to fill you with power and I'm going to send you, you're going to be my witnesses, you're going to be my witnesses of all the earth, I'm going to pour my spirit upon you that all the scriptures talked about. God actually indwelling in humanity what they were waiting for as God breathed upon them in the first minutes of this birth something beautiful happens. God begins to communicate to masses of people in their own native tongue about the wonderful deeds that he's done. He begins to declare how wide his love is. In the first moments of the birth of the church, we begin to see a width of the love of God for the world. Beautiful. In the first moment, hearing God's wonders in their own tongue, hearing God, the things about God in your own language is a beautiful thing. And this is a picture of what God is like and his longing for what his family is to look like, what his church would look like. God's power displayed in his reach for people groups and his love for all people. This, was, this is what was shown. This is the beautiful act of the birth of the church. We get to see the, wep, the width of God's love displayed within the minutes of the birth of the church. That's what we see of God. This last week, in our country, know, our, our country was really struggling right, in, in, in many ways, and struggling to care about the things of God. And within, within our own country, there was something that went around sort of virally in New York City of somebody throwing a fit in a restaurant because people were speaking Spanish um, to each other as they were ordering food. Anybody see this? Right? It, it, somebody, and then this, this man threatening the people as they spoke Spanish to other Spanish speakers who were in this restaurant because that's the language they knew. Right? This, is the, this was their native tongue that they were there. And so this man, offended by this because this is America, for whatever that might mean, offended that they would speak Spanish and should be speaking English, he began to threaten not only the staff, but these patrons and people saying that he's going to call immigration and have everybody moved out, and if you're here. And, and threatening with the hostile language of saying, we actually provide for all of you poor people who are from other countries. It was, right, if you, if you saw it, you, you knew that it was ugly you saw that it was really ugly. It was one, it's probably the, it was part of the reality of parts of America that this the ugliness of our country that is not hospitable to other people that are different than us who are yet fully apart and with us and in it. And yet we see in this story, if there could be anything so contrasted to that, it would be this, the first moments of the birth of the church See, the, 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 these, these gathered ones had nothing to do with this. It was uncontrollable from their mouths. Begin to communicate in other languages to all sorts of other people from different places, different cultures and contexts, the love of God. This is the beauty of our God. This shows us a picture of what God is like of what his longing, what his family's to be like. And this was the beautiful birth of a church that would look like this. So I think this is the width, God's love. The width of his love is more than we can imagine. May you be able to understand the width of the love of God and its reach for all people, all nations. In the beginning, we get to see this beautiful truth. It's the depth of love. I remember at the birth, or maybe I might call it the rebirth. Genesis, we had a rebirth 10 years ago. That rebirth came when we came together with the American Baptist Church here in Royal Oak. It was beautiful, it was so beautiful. Two two different types of, two different communities gathered together and say, let's go together. Let's be together. Two diverse age groups primarily coming together and say, let's look like family. We have, we have different things that we, that we like and maybe even different styles of music and a different pattern of how we worship. But we worship the same God. We want to see the kingdom of God come together. And these two, people were, these two groups of people said, our differences, do, uh, um, we're, we're, we, don't, we don't have uniformity, but we have unity in the pursuit of Jesus. We have unity and longing. We want to see the kingdom of God come it was a beautiful birth, and it showed the width of God's love, the stretch of God's love. In those, in those early years when we came together, it's just one of my favorite stories of how we kind of came together. Um, the, uh, the church that was here, the American Baptist, the First Baptist Church of Royal Oak, um, they, they had money. They had monies that they were using. They just wanted, uh, they wanted to put it to good use. They wanted to, to fuel the kingdom of God. And with our early years of 2010, the group of money, when we came together, we said, give all that money away. Give it away. And I can't remember the exact dollar amount. You know, that's how, but it was like $500,000, right? You know, it was somewhere shy of that, right? And that's, that's, that's a lot of money, right? We said, give it away to what God is doing in the world at the birth of this community. This was one of the first acts we did. First things that we did as a community, empowering group people to say, well, we know you love to be generous for the mission of God. Give it away. My favorite stories of our community, as flawed as sometimes as we can be, as small or insignificant as we might feel in the grand, scoop, the grand scheme of things, is the beautiful birth of this community called Genesis, the rebirth in 2010 of two communities becoming one, with all the mess that it, 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 it is to come together, as all of us know. But in the birth was beautiful. Because it shows this width of God's love being displayed out in the world. Another part that I love, not only the width of God's love, but in Ephesians it talks about the depth and in this text of, Ephesian, or of Acts 2, we get to see this depth of God's love. Uh, I, want, I want to read a portion of Acts 2 again. This is in Acts 2, 41 to 47, and it's, and it's describing what this church, what this birth church looked like. And, and on that day, as they spoke in these tongues, and all these people heard um, their own languages being spoken, Peter stood up and gave this message. And, and it said in that day, 3,000 people were baptized and we're kind of pulled into, these, into this group. And in verse 41 it said the, this, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 of them were added to their number that day. So the church was born and it grew from that 120. And this begins to describe them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So this is a beautiful picture. This is called Acts two, and a lot. You know, this has been a pretty fun, uh, shaping text. For the church and many churches long to to say, oh, this is a picture of what the church is to look like. But if you looked at this text, the one we just read here, there's actually a center to it. It's sort of encompassed in these two stories of growth and the church is growing, but there's a center, there's a focus to what this church looked like. This text, it kind of says, oh, here's the focus, it's right in the middle of it. The focus, not only the characteristics of what they did, but this was the focus of who they were. It's verses 44 and 45, and it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. That's the center of that text. That's the focus, maybe even of this this whole chapter of what this church looked like. And then we see this growth of the church. It's a a product of the demonstration of this. Can I read that to you again? All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. This is a demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and self sacrificial living. And that's what it looked like in the church it is the depth of God's love. Self-sacrificial giving. Uh, Rodney Starks he he wrote he has a book called The Triumph of Christianity where he kind of says how did hundred and twenty people who were gathering in this room in Acts two by three hundred um, and fifty BC in Constantinople uh, become what they think around uh, fifty million right in in three in three hundred and ten years or so. How did that happen? And he be, he writes about this sort of this movement, right? And in it he talks about this sacrificial love that marked the people of God. The sacrificial love. And there's a story that, that happened in roughly the second century. It was a one of the black plagues or the plagues of a of a virus, maybe smallpox I think it was, that was going throughout the Roman Empire and annihilating, annihilating people. And it was in Alexandria, actually, there was a bishop there who wrote a letter that they have copies of after this great second plague had happened. Because the reality was, and for those of you who've seen uh, Monty Monty Pythons, um, what's the one where they're yelling out, bring out your dead? You know, I think it was the Search for the Holy Grail, maybe, right? Have you seen out that one where they're throwing out, like, they're not really dead yet, right? And they're putting them in wheelbarrows, and they're like, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. And then the guy is thrown to the wheelbarrow, and it's like, hey, I'm not dead yet. And it's like, oh, you will be soon. And they, you know, it's like it's, it's comical, but that's actually <laughs> what happened, because it was a plague, and they knew it was contagious. And the one that happened before annihilated a third of the population, Right? And so because it was contagious, if you got it, if someone in your family got it, and you knew that they were plagued with this disease, with this virus that was infectious, you would either flee or you would remove them and throw them out. And the culture began to do this. They would throw them out and half dead people were left into the streets and piled up. This is what culture, this is how culture, this is how the world responds, you know, in our in our fear capacity to these kinds of tasks and challenges right this is what fear does to people when the great challenge comes upon you get fear and you throw out you 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 kick away any wounded or hurting desperate plagued afflicted oppressed people you cast them to the side in order to protect and this is what culture did except for the christians they saw that the new self-sacrifice was the task, and so instead of fleeing, there was a large number of them that actually went to the oppressed people, to the, to the, the afflicted, to the sick. And this um, bishop of Alexandria even wrote a letter when he described it, and they didn't go because they thought, oh, we'll be, we'll be spared from this infection. They didn't have a theology that said, oh, we'll be protected if we go even they knew that God could do so. No, they knew that this is what love does, S- self-sacrificial love. And th- this is what actually the church was actually marked by, which it's actually how the church was born. It was birthed in this self-sacrificial love. And so they actually went out and cared for the infected. And here's a portion um, of the letter. Says most of our brothers showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were inflicted by others with, this, with, with the disease, drawing on themselves, the sickness of their neighbors, and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. Beautiful, right? This was the the picture of self-sacrificial love in the church. Well, it didn't start there. I mean, when we think about self-sacrificial love, it's the gospel. I mean, this is what Jesus did Right, the one who came, the one who came into our disease, and in Philippians two seven and eight, it says instead so he's described. They're describing Jesus, and they're saying, "Oh, this is who this is." Right? Do you understand what Jesus has done? Do you understand this pattern of how he has lived? When he, when, when he's described, it says instead he instead of you know he's God in flesh, and instead of trying to just use his godlike privilege. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, of a servant, and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. The self-sacrificial love of God, that he would come and give his life for us, who are all plagued with the virus, right? The virus of sin, of death, the plague of Satan, the plague of condemnation. Right? All of us were plagued. And yet Jesus comes on and, and takes our plague, is way the scriptures talk about it. That our debt, our illness, our sins, he takes it upon himself and shows up and and doesn't show up in order to say oh this won't affect me because he knew exactly what it would do to him it would it would demand his death and a painful death on a cross as a criminal naked and betrayed and beaten and mocked and ridiculed this is the picture how the church started and the early church in its birth showed the depth of this with self-sacrificial love it's the depth, it's the beauty of the birth of the church, seen in the width and the expanse of what the family looked like and the depth of sacrificial love. How, how many, and uh, Liv mentioned it, how many of y'all watched the royal wedding yesterday? My wife, Carmel woke she set her alarm and got up at 6.30 in the morning in order to, to watch it, you know, I did not. Um, but, but then I came in and it was beautiful. And then it re-aired, you know, and I got sucked in, and I, and I watched portions of it. It was, it was beautiful, right? Do you agree? Beautiful. Such a beautiful story. And, you know, and the, the, the powerful moment, right, was when the bishop taught, right? Well, I mean, it was all powerful, I man. It was beautiful. I, I loved hearing even liturgical prayers were beautiful. But when uh, Bishop Michael Curry began to teach, what was he teaching on? The power of love, right? What it could do. And it began to mention about Jesus, right? That he began this revolutionary movement in history. A movement grounded in the unconditional love of God for the world. And a movement that would draw people in it to be able to live that kind of love. A mandate to live that kind of love in the world. He began to share about that, right? And began to paint a picture in so doing if we would experience that kind of love that we could live that kind of love this kind of love actually changes the world. As we would say that the birth of the church is a part of this. Jesus himself sacrificed his life for our well-being. This is what sacrificial love looked like. He talked about that, and in so doing, it becomes redemptive. It redeems. It can change our lives, it can change the world. And he invited us to dream, right? If you haven't listened to it, you should go online. I think it's like 15 minutes. I think his, his little sermon in the midst of it, Bishop Michael Curry, it was beautiful. He, he talked about the power of love to help and to heal when nothing else can. But the power of love to lift up and to liberate. The power of love that can show us the way to live. And he challenged us to imagine a world. To imagine a world that was driven, that was fueled by that energy, right? By that power of love. Imagine a world. Imagine what our neighborhoods would look like. Imagine what our cities would be like. They were fueled by this power of love. He said, imagine what our nation and our governments would look like if they were actually fueled by the power of love. Imagine what businesses and commerce would look like. And they begin to paint this picture, right? What would be no more? Poverty. What would be no more? War. What would be no more? Kids going to bed hungry? Right? It would be no more if love, if the power of love drove, fueled this world where love was the way. There would be this sanctuary, this dwelling place of God. That's what he was painting this picture for. And so then he quoted Dr. Martin Luther King, his haunting words to say that we must discover the power of love, the power, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make of this old world a new world. We will be able to make men better. Love is the only way. When we're talking about the power of love, it's not this sentimental kind of thing. It's this sacrificial love that marked the church. That's when we talk about the power of love. It's a sac- It's a costly love. We talk the birth of anything new. It all starts with a cost. It's always costly. This power of love just isn't sentimental. It's, it's, we're talking about the way that the church was born as the Spirit of God breathed on it and showed the width and the depth of the sacrifice and the longing of God for this world. And we begin to see, we begin to see the church step into it. This is what the church was designed. It's beautiful. When I think about things that were birthed, Again, I think about the birth of my son and the sacrifice that went into that birth into our family. I think about the birth of this church and the costly sacrifice that went into it of two people together and the giving to others to God's kingdom flourish. I also think about my own birth into the family of God and the sacrificial love involved as I was embraced by the church. And when youth leaders took me in and other high schoolers into their families and loved me sacrificially and embraced us. Now, love always demands great sacrifice. But this is where the church was born by the power of love. And only this is fueled by the Spirit of God that is poured out the likeness of God as he breathes upon this church and animates them with his love and with his power. The beauty of the church. In Acts 2, as we see this story born in this church born, one that has this great depth of love, I sing... Uh, sacrificial love being poured out to anyone in need. one has great wit that we see the nations come. In this story, it shows a group of people responding to the love of Jesus Christ. It shows them responding to Peter's message of Jesus, sacrificial love for them and his conquering of death, him being the Messiah and the Lord. And when they heard this message, this proclamation of Jesus, it says their hearts were cut to the core. And they are asking, what do we do? How do we respond? What should we do? How do we live? That, that's their question. Now, what should I believe? <laughs> what should we do? Who should we be? And Peter replied this way, each of us repent from your sins. Like have a turning, right? Have a turning from your old way of living, they could be completely self-consumed, just concerned for your own world problems. Believing that you're God. Repent of your sins and turn to God. Turn to a God who loves you, who has great width of his love, the great depth of his love, height of his love. That will include you. Turn to him. Embrace his agenda for the world, for your city and your neighborhood. Turn to him. Be baptized into the name of Jesus. Be immersed. Be immersed into Jesus. Let Jesus consume you. Let him spill upon you. And then you will receive the promise. Be immersed into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise. This promise is to you. It's to your children, and it's to all who are far off. It's not just for you. It's to you, it's to your children, and all who are far off. That's the picture of the church. And this is the response that he says, oh, turn away from the empty way of living, from your sin, from your brokenness, from being God. Turn to God. Let Jesus immerse you be baptized, be immersed with Jesus, and receive the Holy Spirit. Because this promise is for you, your children, and everyone who's far off. This is what they were encouraged to do. This is our hope, not that we need to do, so what do we do, what do we do? And he says, oh, here's what you do. Turn to God, be immersed in him, and let him fill you with the promise. Let him do this work in you that you cannot do. Let him pour his spirit upon you to show you the width and the depth of his love so then you can respond with the power and the love of Jesus Christ. Church, this is what we're celebrating today. We have a long legacy into history. And as a church, we know that we long to live in this too to live out this love of God in this world. Jesus said, hey, uh, if you give a cup of water to one in need, you're, you will be rewarded, you will not be forgotten. Your sacrificial love fueled by the Spirit of God. May we know, maybe we will just say yes, but today, may you marvel in the beauty of the birth of God's church. May you marvel in the beauty of it that was way more inclusive than we have any idea from its first breath, and that was way deeper in its sacrificial love for all. This is the way our family, the birth of God's bride started, and it's what it looked like. And this is what the church is still to look like today, and what we're invited to be a part of. I want to pray this blessing upon you from Ephesians. That is exactly what we talked about. This is the good news today. It's not so much you've got to try to make this happen, but it's the good news of God empowering you with His Spirit. This is from Ephesians 3, 16 to 21. And I want to pray that you would receive this, that you would receive this kind of power of love from the Father as we turn to God, as we immerse ourselves into Jesus and turn from our empty ways of living, and again, come to our God for life. And so, a- as we do, I want to invite you to stand. And I want to invite the worship, I want to invite James and the team to come up, because after we pray this prayer, we're going we're gonna to sing together this beautiful picture of the church, and it's one that shows the, the depth and the width of the love of God and, the, and of what this church looks like that we are a part of. But here's this blessing that I want to pray over you. It's the same prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. It's one of the ones that we've been praying all year that God told us we're praying for more. More of God at work within us. And so I want to pray that you'd be able to receive. It's the same early church received the Spirit of God that breathed upon them and they began to see the full picture of God's love. So would you receive this? Would you be open in a posture? I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations